listening to Reading Glasses, a show about book culture and literary life designed to help you read better. I'm author and book devourer Mallory O'Mara. And I'm Bria Grant, filmmaker and e-reader. This episode, we're talking about getting rid of guilt over taking time to read. Plus, finally interviewing Seanan McGuire, someone I've wanted on the show forever, and recommending some academia-based mysteries. But first, Bria, what are you reading? Um, I just listened to um, a book called Hey Hun, Sales, Sisterhood, Supremacy, and the Other Lies Behind Multi-Level Marketing by Emily Lynn Paulson. Um, Whoa! I, the project I've been working on is about multi-level marketing. It's like a horror thing about multi-level marketing. MLM, which not to be confused with Men Loving Men, which is something people also I know, love I'm on this I'm still waiting show. for the MLM, MLM, the MLM, MLM book. Yes. This one is called Hey Hun because uh, when people, they all reach out, all the multi-level marketing women reach out to each other on Facebook. They always start with, Hey Hun, and try to get people oh, involved wow. in the multi-level marketing. Um, but this one is about a woman who was involved in one that she doesn't disclose what it is. Although I think I have an idea because I've looked into this world so much doing research. But basically, it's just, it's a, it's a pyramid scheme, right? And it's just her, it's a memoir with like a lot of good information about how it supports, you know, uh, um, it, it, these, these programs prey on lonely women, women who are alone, mothers who want to do something, but they haven't, they don't have a community. It also uses, uh, you know, capitalism and white supremacy to sell. It is fascinating. If you love cult, I mean, it's a cult, right? So if you love cult books, you love books about cults, if you're watching, you know, the Nexium documentary and stuff, this is definitely a great book for you. Um, I just really enjoyed it. She reads it herself. Um, and it's just about, and she's, you know, she's very uh, honest about stuff. I mean, like she also during this process became sober, because there was so much drinking involved. And then yeah, there's all sorts of wild things that happen in this book. The thing that got me really interested in this was the documentary um, Lula Rich, which is about Lula Rowe. Um, but then I got even more interested and started like looking is into- Is that the Lululemon No, Lulu, or- Lulu Rowe is the name of the company that's an MLM. Lululemon is not an MLM. It's just a brand. It's just pants. It's just pants. Uh, this is, <laughs> but you can buy pants. Lula Rowe was also pants. Um, anyway, fascinating. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, what are you reading? Uh, well, I'm finally getting to one of the books that was my top book that I think would might be on this list if mm. I had gotten to it in time. It's House of Cotton by Monica Brashears. And we had talked about this book before and this is, I had started it and it was, and I just yesterday passed in the first draft of my new book Yay. and I had to wait until I finished because um, the it's very lyrical, but it's the kind of book that you have to pay attention to. Mm-hmm. You can't be like stressed out or distracted. Like this book demands your full attention. And I could not read it until I was like done with my deadline. But it when you like sit down and hunker down, it is fucking worth the wait. It is about this woman. Uh, she's 19 years old. Her grandmother has just died and her mom's still alive, but her mom like was never really around. Her grandmother was really the one who raised her and she's very broke. She is, she owes rent to the landlord that uh, owns the apartment that her and her grandmother lived in and she doesn't know what to do. Um, and one day she gets offered a very weird job to be a model at a funeral home where she will impersonate the dead and is very, uh, make, she's going to make a lot of money and she accepts it. Um, but 
obviously some things are some weird things are going to happen and uh, I'm really enjoying it so far. Um, this is like, again, I'm glad that I gave it another chance and started reading it during a time when it was, um, when I had the bandwidth to really pay attention because like, if you are a language person, this book is for you for mm-hmm, sure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. So that's House of Cotton by Monica Brashears. And mine is Hey Han, Sales, Sisterhood, Supremacy, and Other Lies Behind Multi-Level Marketing by Emily Lynn Paulson. So we want to take a moment to share some listener feedback. Lots of people wrote in about movie novelizations. A lot of big fans out there in the Glasser world. James said, hi, Brian Mallory. I'm here as a big fan of a particular series of video game novelizations. Hmm. Back in the early 90s, Nintendo licensed a series of novelizations of popular NES games under the series umbrella Worlds of Power. They were written under the pen name FX9. Wow. (laughs) Amazing. Pseudonym of business book author Seth Godin. Godin? What? What? Well, do you know who this is? Yes, of course. I've read his books. He's he's a great writer. That is wild. That is so wild. Okay, that's wow. Well, okay. he's also FX nine. Wow, <laughs> feels like something out of like uh, uh, hackers or something. I know, it's so funny. Um, But James says they were surprisingly good. I read a few as a kid and adored them as both a gamer and a reader, especially the one based on Ninja Gaiden. In fact, I even found a copy of the Ninja Gaiden one at one of the Powell's locations a few years back, and and it mostly holds up. Thanks for keeping me entertained and finding new reads. Wow, that's amazing. I had no idea. Um, Wow, What 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 a dual life Wow. Amazing. Um, Elizabeth wrote in and said, Hey, Brianna Mallory, I have a fascination with movie novelizations. It all started when Halloween 2018 came out and my husband and I got the audiobook to listen to on our shared commute. We had already seen the movie and loved it and we wanted to spend more time with it. It filled in a lot of plot blanks and there were even chapters from Michael Myers' perspective. Wait, Halloween 2018. Oh, okay. That's the one that's the new run of them. Sorry, my brain just... I was going to say, aren't you in that movie? Not that one. No, I'm not in that one. Um, I'm one of those people who latches onto a book and collects the different editions. I have many editions of Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and Little Women, and I love searching for interesting editions in used bookstores. One day while searching, I found a movie novelization of the 1994 Little Women. I was baffled. Here is a classic novel edited down to make a film, and then rather than re-release the novel with a tie-in cover, which I'm sure they did, they just novelized the film. I love it so much. Another amazing discovery was the novelization of Rocky, where someone took a marker and blacked out the swear words. It's adorable. Oh, my God. I love the show, Um, and thanks for the tips. Wow. That is really funny. So they released Little that Women. really funny. And they were like, we should do a novelization of it. And someone was like, that already exists. And they were like, not in this way it doesn't. Not in this way it doesn't. Also, I'm really like, who was blacking out a copy of Rock, the Rocky novelization? Like, who were you? Was someone giving it to a child? Like, I don't know. Uh, do you want to read Elizabeth's Wheelhouse? Yes. Elizabeth's Wheelhouse is Stephen King, Ghosts, Small Town with a Secret, Villains That Are Born, Not Made, The 90s, Unreliable Narrators, and Ambiguity. Love it. So you can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. If you want a list of all the books we talk about on the show delivered to your inbox every month, you can sign up for our newsletter. There's a link in the show notes. Uh, we mentioned this at the end of last episode, but we got to say it again at the top of the show. Folks, the small group of you who took the time to Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Got us to Sopapia's. Level Sopapia. I think I texted a screenshot to Bria and was like, Sopapia's achieved. <laughs> or Sopapia's unlocked. 
Amazing. <laughs> so we just want to thank you all so much. I know that uh, um, we, t- we say it all the time, but really leaving a review for the show it not only means a lot to us, but it really translates to more success for us because people look at it and sometimes people make a decision whether or not to guest on the show or listen to the show based on how many reviews we have. And it uh, really means a lot that you have taken the time to do that and to celebrate that. Uh, whenever I come down to LA next and Bri and I record the show, we're going to get some sopapillas and maybe even live stream us eating them and me trying my first ever sopapilla. So thank you. Thank you very much. And I, uh, another book for Mark for me, I just wanted to thank uh, the folks that we have seen in my new Twitch show, uh, Ink Witches with my best friend, Lauren. Uh, we've got some glassers over there and it's been really, really fun. And we just want to thank the people who, uh, who, who've been coming over and welcome you. If you are a person who likes fountain pens and stationery and journaling and creativity, uh, We stream every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Pacific and every Sunday at noon Pacific. And we just have a blast. And uh, the community is building over there and it's been really fun. So if you're interested in those things, curious about those things, come over and and join us. We're having a blast. I'll put a link in the show notes. And before we talk about getting the guilt out of your reading time, we're going to take a quick break. Reading Glasses is brought to you in part this week by Green Chef. Feel your best this summer with seasonal recipes featuring certified organic fruits and vegetables, organic cage-free eggs, and sustainably sourced seafood. Green Chef is awesome. You can grab everything you need at the Green Market. That's the one-stop shop for nutritious grab-and-go breakfasts, brunch kits, wholesome lunches, ready-to-eat snacks, and more. You can easily add to your weekly order. And eating doesn't have to be boring. You can satisfy your cravings for adventurous eats, and you can make them nutritious. Discover exciting new flavors this summer with recipes that feature certified organic fruits and vegetables, sustainably sourced seafood, and unique farm-fresh ingredients like tart cherries, truffle zest, and rainbow carrots. Can I just say, I love rainbow carrots. I think they are amazing. They are by far the superior carrot, but they're not in everything, which is very exciting. I love Green Chef. I love that. I know what I'm going to make for dinner. It's in my fridge. And they have all sorts of fun stuff like rainbow carrots. Fun stuff. I always want to make something new, something different. I am an adventurous cook, sometimes to my detriment, but never with Green Chef because Green Chef gives me what I need. It gives me the ingredients that I need. It means that I am going to have an easy recipe. It's been vetted. They're like, this is a recipe you can make. You, Bria Grant, who wants to make something adventurous, but honestly makes a lot of cooking mistakes. You can make this going to be great for you. And I love that I already know what is going to be made for dinner tonight by me. I love cooking. And you can go to greenchef.com slash glasses50 and use code glasses50 to get 50% off plus free shipping. That's greenchef.com slash glasses50 and code glasses50 to get 50% off plus free shipping. Wow, 50%, y'all. This is a great deal. Glasses. Hey, Max Fun listeners, this is Cameron Esposito. I'm a stand-up comic, actor, writer, best-selling author, and podcaster. I got a great show called Query, where I interview LGBTQ plus luminaries across, oh, a bunch of fields. People in entertainment, astronauts, musicians, rock stars. I am bringing the show to maximum fun. You can listen right now, and I am so happy to be on this network. 
We have new episodes out every Monday. You can listen at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. This week, we often talk about getting rid of the guilt in your reading choices. But what about the guilt in your reading time itself? We got a great Glasser email from Kayla who asked, Hi, Brian Mallory. I also live in Southern California where the constant messaging is due more faster. How do you navigate the reading guilt of sitting down with a physical book or ebook and doing just one thing at a time? Thank you again. Even when it isn't a cozy themed episode, reading classes always makes me feel cozy during my commute. This is such a meaty question that it merits a whole episode. Uh, Bria, is this ever an issue that you struggle with? I hear it. I feel it. I understand it. It's deep in my bones. I totally, (laughs) totally as much as I'm like, I don't want to be part of grind culture. You know, I read the books to tell me not to be a part of it. I am a part of it. (laughs) I work every day. I finish every day wishing I had done a few more things. So like, I totally get it. I'm a freelancer. Mallory's a freelancer. But even if you're not, I think this totally applies to you because there's never an end to your work when you're a freelancer, unfortunately. You're always like, well, I could do one more thing, you know, and that is just living in our modern world. Being a creative person professionally is basically saying, I want to have homework for the rest of my life every night. It is. But I even think like people not in the creative fields feel this too, because there's always so much more to be doing. It's like, oh, and I could also be fixing up my house or I could be learning to make this meal or I could be, shouldn't I spend time with my family? I mean, I think there's always things that you feel like you have to be doing because of pressure. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of pressure on us. So I definitely totally feel this, Kayla. Um, What about you, Mallory? I feel the same way. I like to think that it, I'm not like that, but I definitely notice that when I'm stressed and busy, my reading time is usually the first thing to suffer. And that bums me out. Like, who am I to be sitting and lounging and reading when I could be putting away laundry or answering emails or cleaning the bathrooms? Like, because I don't have to do it unless, you know, I need to like read something for work. Reading can sometimes get bumped to the bottom of the to-do list. Like I I said last episode, been on writing deadline for a while uh, until literally yesterday. Uh, And when we're busy and stressed, I sometimes forget how soothing and rejuvenating reading is, even though I'm a fucking professional book person. And like it happens constantly where I'm stressed and I let my reading slip for a few weeks. And then whenever I actually take the time to sit down and read, I'm like, oh yeah, this is good for my brain. Mm -hmm. What the fuck am I doing? Mm -hmm. Why am I not? It's the same way with exercise sometimes. You know, you can, you're like really, really busy. So I'll skip exercise. And then you like go for a walk and you're like, oh, I feel good. Why am I not doing this all the time? Why am I letting this be the thing that slips? Yeah. Yeah. Like emails can sometimes wait for another day. Emails can wait many days. The The one lesson you should learn from Bria (laughs) Grant is you can actually wait on many days, many days for emails. Uh, That's, that's, Bria Grant is my hero because I wish I could be like that. So we all are feeling this pressure to work, produce, make things, and then post it all on social media. How do you beat that guilt and sit down and find time for yourself, especially to read? Mallory knows what I'm going to say. I know she knows what I'm going to say because she literally wrote about it before I wrote about it in the doc, (laughs) which is so weird. That we know that's knowing each other too well. That's you knowing me better than my husband knows me. Um, uh, so I'll repeat it. I've said it before. I live or die by a to-do list. Uh, that means sometimes I put read on my to-do list, especially like if the book is due at the library. 
uh, especially if it means uh, like maybe my um, book club is meeting soon, you know, something like that. So I will often put it on my to-do list. But having the to-do list helps me in my brain. This does not apply to everybody, but it helps me in my brain to go, oh, you're done with your work day. Because if I've done mm-hmm. everything on the to-do list, I am done with my work day. So I can do something else like fucking read, which is something I enjoy. I love ending the day with an hour or so, like outside in the beautiful SoCal weather, reading a comic book, like just hanging out and not thinking about anything else. And I feel like as a person who feels like I am driven to do so many things every day, if I can finish the things that I had planned on doing, then I can allow myself that time. Like, is that a healthy brain? I don't know. I don't think so. But <laughs> at least I can, I have like kind of built this into my life. Um, what do you think about the to-do list that you already knew I was going to say? <laughs> well, I've heard you mention it before a long time ago on the show. And I started doing this because you do this. And I'm totally co-signing it. And I think this is like a lot of pieces of advice we we give out on the show is it depends on the kind of person you are. Yeah. If you are a person who thrives under structure and um, uh, what's what are we called? Upholders? Oh, like yeah. If you... If you thrive with the to-do list and an assignment, it's going to help if you put your fucking, uh, your reading time on your to-do list for the day. Honestly, I like to think of it as like mental care for myself. Like it's just as important as like going to the gym, putting, do yoga, whatever it is, like any, any health related thing that I put on my to-do list. Reading is kind of the same thing because it's so beneficial for me and it's, you know, that's how I, it's good to remind myself by how, how important it is by putting it on that list. And ooh, baby, no greater joy in life than crossing something off your to-do list for the day. Ooh, ooh. And, you know, and again, this is, like you said, this is kind of feeding into the problem that Kayla's having with productivity culture that we're all having with hu- yeah. hustle culture. But we have to live in it. So yeah. maybe you can game the system a little bit to get yourself a little bit of free time to relax. And at least for me, it works because it helps me prioritize things. I look at them like, oh shit, I got to read. I got to like take the time to sit. And I'm not like, as long as you're, as long as you're not like rushing and like grabbing your book and running to the couch, I'm like, all right, I have to read. I have to read for this certain amount of time. And as long as you're not feeling pressured by that, um, for me, it's, I feel the same way. It's like a relief. I'm like, oh, I've gotten to the end of, I can read. This is now it's time to cross the final thing off. Um, what else? What do you, what do you think if, uh, if you're not like that? If you're not a total freak about a to-do list. Yeah, I think, (laughs) well, I think one thing you just said that struck with me is that, uh, building it in as a habit is helpful. So, you know, let's say on Saturdays you clean your house in the morning and then right afterwards you read for an hour or something. Or let's say, like building it into your routine. Let's say you're, you have breakfast every morning and you're sit, just sitting there. You could read a couple of poems. You could read a chapter of a book or something while you're sitting mm-hmm. there having breakfast, depending on what your day is like. I know not everyone is sitting there having breakfast in the quiet. Um, but so finding a way to build it into your habits, I think is really helpful. I think the other thing is, like Mallory said, it is like going to the gym or something. It is when you're reading, just remind yourself, you're getting smarter, you're getting more empathetic, you're getting better at language by reading literally anything. Like I hate to use the word self-care, but it is self-care. This is not, it's not even gym day. It's it's a spa day that's combined with a gym day. It's good. It is Mm -hmm. good for you. And so if you're a person who has trouble building it into your schedule or in any way, just remind yourself that this is something that is good for you. It is something that will make you feel better after you do it. It is like a spa day or a gym day. So just knowing it is self-care in a way that I know it's a cringy thing to say now, but um, but it is important. It's only because 
so many companies have used the term self-care to sell us things now. Yeah, that's so true. And now it feels cringy. Yeah, I like to think of it as like a necessary reward. Mm. Like if you were, if you don't want to put it on your to-do list um, and you don't want to like pressure yourself to do it, think about it as a reward that, like you said, is good for you. It's filling, I think about it as filling the gas tank of my brain. You can only drive so far before you need to refill your gas. Like you wouldn't feel guilty for sleeping, but it's the same. <laughs> or maybe you would. Do. And if Some you do, do, that's a problem for your therapist. Um, but, you know, you can only go so hard for so long before you start to burn out. And reading, at least for me, refills that mental gas tank. And especially if it's something, you know, it's purely for fun and I'm really enjoying it, you know, which is another reason it's important to dump books that you're, you're not enjoying because it makes that resting time feel like work. But, you know, burnout is such a real thing with productivity culture. And, you know, we're all trying to do more with less and do more things. Every, th every single thing, you know, it feels like it's not just work. You know, you got to make sure you get the best groceries and make the best food and, and, and work out and keep your house clean. And it's just there's a lot of fucking shit to do. You ever just, like, get exhausted? Sometimes I'm like, man, these fucking teeth in my head, I got to brush them Ugh. twice a day for the rest of my life. I just have to maintain these bones sticking out of my face. <laughs> and that's just part of being an adult. You just have to maintain. You got to do things. I cannot believe um, how often I have to change my stupid refrigerator filter where I'm like, Why? <laughs> how is this a job now? This is my job that I have to change this. Bria's become a professional refrigeration so filtration specialist. It makes me so angry that I have to do, like, it's like, it's not that. It's like that, but also the Roomba filter and also the coffee filter and also, and like, it's a like, lot of filters. I'm just changing shit all day long. Like, this is so frustrating. But I do think reading is kind of almost the opposite of that. Reading is opposite of productivity culture gonna, reading is re, I, reading is the opposite of changing your filter i well, was like i think actually it's kind of similar think, to changing your filter I, was it, gonna, I think it's the same thing it's the opposite of productivity culture because afterwards you aren't like oh look i you know i i achieved this thing it's sort of just like no this is good for you and it's something you did for yourself alone i mean maybe you're reading for your book club maybe you're reading for instagram or something but but it should I, be fun it should be fun and it should be something that you can do that's like, fuck you, productivity culture. I can do this without you. Yeah. Yeah. So you can send your thoughts on getting guilt out of your reading time to readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. And before we have the long-awaited Shauna McGuire interview, we're going to take a quick break. Reading Glasses is brought to you in part today by Microdose Gummies. Microdose Gummies deliver perfect entry-level doses of THC that help you feel just the right amount of good. You've probably heard us talk about microdosing before. You've probably heard your friends talk about it. But if not, just so you know, a lot of people are microdosing every day to feel better, perform better, feel healthier, wind down. There's all sorts of ways that you can microdose. Last night I went to a concert and I had some friends in town, and it was very exciting because we could do a little microdosing before we went and really be in the moment because that's something that THC can help you do. It can help you just stay in that moment. You want to invest in your a project you're working on. You want to just be able to be in the moment when you're walking your dog, when you're hanging out with your friends, when you're at a concert. This is the perfect thing to help you do that because 
life is short, you know? You want to make sure you're experiencing all these moments to their fullest. And sometimes you want a little something that will help you with that. That maybe also will ease your anxiety a little bit at the moment. You know, you're in a large group of people. You need to ease that anxiety. Just generally, it is a great way to help you stay centered and feel like you are being in the moment. So Microdose is available nationwide. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use code GLASSES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Wow. Links can be found in the show description. But again, that's microdose.com, code GLASSES. GLASSES. It's official. Max Fun has become a co-op. We're now a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows supported directly by you. Thanks to supporters and listeners like you, MaxFun will always be a place where employees have a say. Thanks to you, shows can continue to partner with an independent, values-driven network. Thanks to you, we're able to carry on our commitment to our shows and the community we've grown together. Learn more about what becoming a co-op means for us and you at MaximumFun.org co-op. That's MaximumFun.org C-O-O-P. Okay, great. Well, here we are with Shannon McGuire. Thank you for coming on the show. Hello. Thank you for having me. Uh, what are you reading right now? Uh, currently, I am reading some really well-written Welcome to Night Vale fan fiction. Mm, nice. I love that. So um, I think the Wayward Children series may be one of the most top-recommended series and the books in it like on our show. I recommend it all the time to people. Uh, but just in case people are listening for the first time, can you tell people about the series and the Be Sure Omnibus? Uh, so the Wayward Children books are basically what happens when you take someone who grew up on 1980s children's media and give them permission to start writing books of their own. Uh, 1980s children's media was the golden age of everything is a portal fantasy because they had decided that kids could not relate if it wasn't a portal fantasy. And when I say that, people assume that I am being um, hyperbolic or making a joke. I'm not. The Care Bears were a portal fantasy. <laughs> you know, no one really remembers that, but it is true. My Little Pony was a portal fantasy. Everything had, quote unquote, ordinary children from an ordinary world going into an extraordinary one. And when you combine that with the classic English children's literature, you wind up with an entire generation of people who grew up not only vaguely thinking our toys were alive, thank you, uh, Toy Story and the Christmas the Christmas toy, but <laughs> with this strong idea that you could one day open a door and wind up going through it to some magical world where things worked differently. And inevitably, if the door opened for you, you would find that the world on the other side was one that was much better tailored to who you were as a person. If you were someone who only found real joy in collecting all the Pokemon, you would find yourself in a place where knowing the names of 600 almost identical species of moth literally made you the chosen one. <laughs> um, and that's kind of the whole shtick of portal fantasy. But frequently, the children in these magical, wonderful, incredible worlds at the end will choose to reject them and go back to a world that has usually been set up as somewhat hostile, 
Mm -hmm. Um, They were bullied, they were abused, they were ignored, whatever, but they want to go back to their parents. They want to go back to their ordinary lives. And and that always puzzled me enormously when I was of the age that portal fantasy is historically aimed at. You know, why would you have this magical world of talking horses and rainbows and decide, you know what? No, I would rather do my math homework and get a squirrely this week. That sounds way more appealing. <laughs> right, no. Um, so when Lee Harris at uh, Tor.com asked me to write him a novella, I wrote Every Heart a Doorway, which was about people who had been through these portal fantasy worlds that had found their magical doors and then didn't choose to come back. They got kind of booted out, generally fairly unceremoniously, frequently without realizing that it was going to happen, and were having to deal with readjusting to a world where magic was less an everyday reality and more a concept that people might make fun of you for believing in. Well, I love it. And I know a lot of people who love it and and relate to it a lot. And uh, that makes sense. I also grew up on 1980s children's media. So now I understand why I'm so obsessed with this book series. Um, So um, you have this, you have the omnibus coming out. Uh, Are there any special things that people, fans can look forward to within this collection? No. Okay, great. Great. I I know that's very blunt, but it's it's also, they didn't ask for any bonus material. Um, So it's just the first three books, but they're all in one place, uh, which is both convenient for loaning out purposes and probably a little bit cheaper if you don't already have the first three Mm. books. True. And the cover is absolutely gorgeous. Oh, great. Fantastic. Well, that's a bonus, a new cover. That's a, definitely a bonus. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it does. It has the first three books in the series, but there's eight overall now, yes? Currently, eight, yes. Eight books currently, yes. Um, so how do you feel like the series has grown over these eight books and and changed in this, in this uh, and however long you've been writing it? Seven years? Has it been seven years? That's what I wrote down, it's but I'm not sure. Seven years, yeah. Wow. Wow. Um, wow. You know, it's it's changed in that it became a series. Uh, originally, Every Heart was written to be a standalone novella. Um, and I sometimes regret that a little. I, I very much love Every Heart, and I'm glad I didn't have any expectations that I'd be able to keep going because I might have written some things differently. And it is, arrogant as this sounds, perfect to me as it is. <laughs> but... There are probably things I would have done differently if I had known that I was going to be stuck with any choices I made in that (laughs) book for a while. Um, And so now I am making choices much more deliberately in terms of things like, am I going to want to deal with this character again? Is this a good addition to the cast or is this a bad addition to the cast? Um, What have people told me they don't like not seeing there? Because one of my goals with the Wayward Children books, um, again, the golden age, quote unquote, of portal fantasy really was either the 1980s or the very early 20th century, depending on how you look at it. Hmm. So you're either looking at the Wizard of Oz or you're looking at the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon. And either way, those are two eras of media that are predominantly straight and white, And so there has been a lot of effort on my part to try and make sure that what I'm actually saying here is this is portal fantasy for everybody. So there are straight white characters because the straight white kids still deserve portal fantasy. 
But if somebody says, I never get to see someone like myself in Portal Fantasy, um, I make sure to put a character that looks as much like them as I can manage into the series very quickly. So there's been a lot of character design and a lot of character choices based on what diversity do my readers explicitly want to see? Are they not currently able to see in this series? I love that. A lot of, of eye toward, um, toward longevity, toward, you know, what can I do here? What builds me closer? There is, there is a goal in mind. What gets me closer to that goal? What gets me closer too quickly? Because I, I, I don't want to get yeah. there tomorrow. No. I really we don't want it. you to. We don't want you to. Yeah. <laughs> I really love these books. I'd like to keep going for a very long time. So, but I have no chill. <laughs> um, I think you're you're showing a lot of restraint. I'm loving everyone that comes out. Um, I'm glad there's going to be more. Can you give us any hints of anything that's going to be coming out? I am legitimately not allowed contractually to give hints. Yeah. Like I'm not even allowed to say book titles until uh, Tor.com has announced them. <laughs> all right, that's fair. Occasionally frustrating, but it's also really good practice for all of the other NDAs I'm under. There you go. There you go. Okay. Well, uh, final question. What is your reader wheelhouse? That's something that you as a reader, no matter what, you see this in a book, you pick it up and you're like, I'm going to read this book. Um, you know, I, I really, really like time distortion reunions. I like mm -hmm. it when characters are separated for long periods of time and then come back together because it is a nice sort of refreshment that, you know, no people will not stop loving you if you're not there for five minutes, uh, which is occasionally a message I need to hear. Mm -hmm. um, I really like mermaids. Mm. They are one of my biggest narrative kinks. They're something I just enjoy reading about. I used to say I really, I really do still love portal fantasy. Like you don't stop loving it just because you start writing it. Mm. But I'm very picky about my portal fantasy. So I can't say that that is a, if I see it, I will read it. Uh, there is a cousin genre that is very popular in Asia and has been picking up more and more steam here in North America, uh, which is the isekai. Isekai is not the same thing as portal fantasy, and that is a hill upon which I will die. <laughs> um, and I have picked up several portal fantasies in the last couple of years that I was told it, it was basically that scene from The Good Place. You know, do you have Eleanor Shellstrip's file? Yes, I have Eleanor Shellstrip's file. Do you have a portal fantasy? Yes, I have a portal fantasy. You promise it's a portal fantasy and not an isekai. <laughs> yes, this is a portal fantasy. Pick it up and it's an isekai. And those are very different things. If I expect one and you give me the other, I will be unfairly harsh toward the isekai mm. um, in a way that, that makes me feel like a bad reader. Wait, now explain to me what the difference is, because I actually don't know what an isekai is. So isekai is a subgenre. It is well, it's it's actually probably not a subgenre because it developed independent of Western portal fantasy. It's a cousin genre. Um, and it's very similar to portal fantasy in that someone from our world goes through a portal or doorway of some sort and winds up in a fantastic fantasy land. However, in isekai, generally the door is death. You're dead. Oh. And you have just been reincarnated in some way into this magical fantasy land, which is simultaneously super cool and not the same thing. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, I agree. 
you know, and there's, it's almost always a very, it's not 100%. I'm not completely certain what is a requirement of the genre versus just a common trope of the genre. Um, you know, it's a romance really requires a happily ever after or a happy for now. Mm -hmm. If you don't want romance readers to eat you in the street, <laughs> uh, that sort of thing. But just because something has romance elements, that doesn't make it a romance. So this may not be required of Isekai, uh, but most of the time Isekai will have a strong chosen one narrative and you'll have the people that have come from our world through dying frequently horribly, uh, somehow be able to save or uplift this new world with their magical modern knowledge. Hmm. And uh, I am increasingly anti uh, chosen one narratives. I feel like they lock a lot of people out of stories. Hmm. And that doesn't mean you can't write one. And it doesn't mean you can't enjoy one. Um, you know, it just means that, that that is not my thing. And so a lot of the common tropes and representative occurrences of Isekai do not ping my readerly buttons. Hmm. Um, so I can't really say that, oh, it's a portal fantasy, I'm going to read it, is a true statement anymore. Sure, sure. All right, well, we'll I'll be on the lookout for those as well. They're quite fun. I know a lot of people that really, really love that genre. It's just you need to treat with it as its own genre, not act like, oh, this is a different form of portal fantasy or this is a watered-down portal fantasy. That's not fair to the Isekai, and it's not fair to the portal fantasy. Yeah, yeah, totally agree. Okay, so where can people find you online? Where can they pre-order the book? Um, uh, where are all the things? Well, my name is Seanan, S-E-A-N-A-N. And if you can spell that, you can find me because <laughs> near, as, near as we can tell, all the other Seanans are either fictional characters, Irish sheep farmers, or rugby players. So <laughs> when you find the heavily opinionated blonde girl from Washington, you know you're in the right location. Nice. Uh, for the moment, as of the recording of this interview, gods above and below only know how long this will be a true sentence. I am primarily on Twitter, um, but Twitter is in the process of, I can't even say self-destructing, uh, being destructed. It's a wild place. I'm not on there anymore, but every time I go look, it just feels yeah. completely chaotic. chaotic. Oh, it's it's terrible there now, but mm -hmm. I, I, I can't leave. I, I want to leave. I genuinely do. Uh, but a couple of years ago, I lost my cat. Oh. And she was the best cat that has ever existed. And I will fight people on that. <laughs> um, even though I know we all have had the best cat that ever existed. And the entirety of her life including her fight with cancer and inevitably losing it was chronicled on Twitter. Oh. And I have a download of my archives. So it's not like I'm saying, Oh, I'm going to lose my cat's existence. But the only thing that really helped me through losing her was knowing that I wasn't grieving entirely alone was the fact that these other people were sad with me. Mm -hmm. And I am still shattered enough from losing her, she says, sounding completely calm and collected. But um, I am still shattered enough from losing her that sometimes for my own mental health, I really need to go back and look at people on Twitter saying how sorry they are. Yeah, and saying how yeah. much they're going to miss new pictures of her. They're going to miss hearing stories about her. And that really does help. And the idea of leaving this shared archive of her having been a thing in the world is just, 
it is still more than I can handle. Yeah. Um, I'm going to have to come to terms with that soon because Twitter is becoming an active force of harm for many of my friends. Mm -hmm. But the people that, that know and love me and watched me try to recover after losing Alice are, are generally very understanding of why I'm having this particular mental block on leaving the hell site. Yeah. Um, but so, yeah, for right now, you can find me on Twitter. <laughs> hey! Um, you can also find me on Tumblr. I am very active on yeah. Tumblr. Um, I am very, very bad at tagging things, however. I, I don't remember. It's There is just not enough free access memory in my head to remember, oh, I've been asked to tag for X or Y or Z. Mm -hmm. So the only things I consistently tag for are GIFs, snakes, and I'm trying to be better about tagging for horror. Um, mm -hmm. So if any of that is a problem for you, my Tumblr is not a safe place for you. Um, I am on Instagram, but much to the absolute dismay of my publicists, all I really post there is pictures of my My Little Pony collection and occasionally magic cards that I am pleased to have pulled out of, uh, of a pack. Um, you can also find me at Zulu's Board Game Cafe basically every Thursday night getting my ass nice. kicked at Commander. Oh, yeah, nice. So, you know, I am I am relatively easy to find. My website is Um, And any email that is sent through the contact form there uh, will go first to my PA, who will check it to make sure that you're not being mean to me because she has to deal with it when people are mean to me. And she doesn't enjoy that. So she filters out people saying horrible things. And uh, it turns out that when you have a lot of queer representation in books that people willingly hand to teenagers, you get some parents that are willing to say really abominable shit to you. Yeah. Like sure. it is astonishing. Some of the things and I'm like, dude, when I was your kid's age, they handed me clan of the cave bear. Yeah. I knew how to assume the position before I understood how to deal with my own periods. Yeah. Like, I am not corrupting your children by having my incredibly, like, I don't write sex. There's nothing graphic in there. Um, I think the most that has happened is a girl kissed a girl. Uh, that If that is corrupting your kids, you must not have cable. <laughs> or let them out of the house ever and i'm not sure you should be allowed to have kids because that level of lockdown in this modern world is not healthy mm -hmm. um but since apparently your moral standards include saying things to i was told before we started recording that i could swear yes. i am not saying some of the things these people have, call, have called me because there is a line between swearing and oh dear god you just said what mm. um so if you email through my contact form, my PA will see it um, and she will then bounce it over to me to respond to, um, or she'll respond to you directly if you're asking something like, where can I download X or why is Y out of print or something else that's really a canned answer. Mm -hmm. um, as for Be Sure, which is why my publicist wanted me to do this, so I should at least remember to talk about it a little bit. Uh, <laughs> if you wanted to order a copy, you can do that through basically any major retailer. Um, any indie bookstore would really appreciate your order. Uh, Borderlands Books in San Francisco, uh, University Books out here in Washington, 
Um, I believe that since it's Tor.com, you'll be able to order it pretty much globally. So you could go to Forgotten Planet, Forbidden Planet in London or Manticore in Melbourne, Australia. Wherever you are, you'll be able to find the book. And please do, because when you buy the book, you feed the cats that aren't dead. There you go. And we love them. And I love the book. So definitely go buy the book. And thank, thank you. you. Thank you for coming on the show, Shannon. Thank you for having me. Now let's answer a recommendation request from Guadalupe who writes in, Hi, Brian and Mallory. I have a huge book hangover. I have just finished The Book of the Most Precious Substance and The Cloisters, and I love them both so much. I love the vibe, the academia, the New York setting, the mystery, the history, everything. I think I found my very specific wheelhouse. Hope you can help me. Bria, what do you think Guadalupe should read? Well, I mean... Oh, I, I thought... I, th I was wondering if you would recommend this. I mean, I have to... I think the obvious one is Ninth House by Libra Dugo, right? That, that's... Yeah. The glasses are all screaming into their little podcatchers right now going like, you have to recommend Ninth House. Ninth House. Like, if you've read Precious Substance and, and Cloisters, I just feel like that's going to be one that's going to scratch that itch. And there's more than one. So get excited about that. Um, it's Yale... Oh, yeah. The second book came out this year. Yeah. It's Yale, but not NYC. But it has um, academia, mystery, history, and a little bit of magic but so does uh, Precious Substance. A book, now I'm calling that book Precious Substance, like we're on friend terms. <laughs> P.S. You know, the old P.S. The P.S. <laughs> um, I think also check out uh, Sundown Motel by Simone St. James. It's upstate New York, okay? But wait, give it a chance. It's got history, mystery. It's fantastic. And it's like dark and rainy, so it has like a major vibe. Uh, I think it could be a really fun mystery one for you as well. But definitely Ooh, that's Ninth House is the one that the glasses are all like, yelling screaming right now <laughs> you must read this book uh what about you what do you think um so just also a reminder to everyone that we recently did a dark academia episode and there's some great recs right. in there that is um great. in addition to those i'm reckon recommending a book that is medium rare academia oh it's not quite dark but it's not quite light just right <laughs> it's goldilocks academia uh, it is The Lions of Fifth Avenue by Fiona Davis. Um, I think I've talked about this on this book a while ago. Um, it's a historical fiction bookish mystery set in the New York Public Library. You have, yeah. Like, I want to read this. I don't know why I haven't yet, but yes. It's so good, and it's like boom, 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 all the things that Guadalupe asked for. Uh, I think it'll tick off a lot of boxes, um, except that slightly dark vibe. It's not, there's no spookiness. There's no darkness. I mean... It's it's not light and happy. There's definitely like an intense mystery, but it's not it's not spooky in any way. But it is a fucking great book, and it has a very compelling mystery that I have very a very vivid memory of staying up until like two a.m. because I had to finish. I was like, Jeremy, you're just gonna have to go to bed by yourself, but I gotta I gotta finish this book. It's so good. And Fiona Davis has a bunch of historical fiction books, uh, so there's a lot more. That came from if you're interested and they're all like female protagonists a little bit bookish very historical like it's it's uh that's definitely her wheelhouse um do you call but, your boyfriend I, bud all the time or just when it's time for you to no your although me and jeremy do have this weird joke where we call each other brother in a, in a wrestler voice oh that's good brother i'm all i'm always like yeah hey brother <laughs> it's good i love it well it, so we got this cat tree for sailor and lula and there's a plaque on it where the brand name would go but instead of putting the brand name instead of putting a i don't know a phrase that fucking cats would say it says hey brother <laughs> on Wait, the what, cat tree what would cats say i don't know meow 
but it just says, hey, brother. So ever since we got this cat tree, Jeremy and I are always like, morning, brother. Give me a smooch, brother. <laughs> That's good. That's good inside couple. Sorry, brother. You got to go to bed, brother, because I got to finish this book. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Anyway, I'm recommending The Lions of Fifth Avenue by Fiona Davis. And what did I say? Uh, Ninth House by Lee Bertigo or The Sundown Motel by Simone St. James. All right, brother, if you want us to solve your reader <laughs> problem or answer your recommendation request, send it to readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. As always, we want to thank the wonderful mods who run our Facebook group and Mark Gonzalez, who runs our Storygraph uh, reading challenge. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, remember, you can buy reading glasses, totes and shirts and stickers over at our Void Merch store. Just the other day, someone was admiring my my other car is a TBR pile sticker. Man, that brings so much joy to my life. And there's a link in the show notes for that. And if you like the show and you want to get us to our next milestone, 2,000 reviews, well, we're going to figure out something exciting to do, but that's our next big milestone. You can take 30 seconds out of your day and rate and view us on the podcast listening app of your choice. It's got to be the app. It's got to be in mobile. Uh, it really is great for us and helps us find more glassers. You can email us at readingglassespodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Twitter at readinggpodcast, on Instagram at readingglassespodcast. Thanks for listening and thanks, thanks for reading. For reading. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows supported directly by you.